Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foote. Welcome to Footnotes. I am not Kevin Foote, as you may have noticed. This is Dawson Eisler, your normal producer, filling in as Kevin is on the road, on his way to Orlando, in fact, to cover the Cajuns in the NCAA tournament tonight. So, we got a great show for you. We, of course, are broadcasting live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. Evco Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. So, we got a lot to talk about today. This was a day uh, for me to fill in. It made it pretty easy to fill up the rundown because uh, there is plenty going on. The Cajuns are playing a pretty big basketball game tonight, in case you've heard. They're uh, playing Tennessee and Orlando in the first round of the NCAA tournament. The Saints just made a flurry of moves yesterday. We covered a couple of them on the show uh, on Footnotes yesterday, but then there was some more action that happened later on in the afternoon, so we'll get to some of that. Uh, it wouldn't be Footnotes, of course, without talking to Kevin, so we're going to talk to him in hour number two. We'll see. Uh, we'll check in on his journey, see where he's at and where his head's at. We'll also, of course, get his opinion on the Saints finally getting a downhill runner which is something that they did yesterday. We'll also talk to Stevie P coming up in the next segment. We'll get his opinion on some of the Saints moves as well and talk a little bit of Cajuns with him. Um, but we're going to do a lot of NCAA tournament today. Um, I'm excited to talk about it. I've kind of already mentioned it on RP3. It's one of my favorite days of the year. Today and tomorrow, um, there's nonstop action. I Even within the NCAA tournament itself, the Final Four that takes place at the end is nowhere near my favorite part of the tournament. I love the chaos that happens today. Um, it's going to be starting at 11 o'clock. We're going to have the NCAA tournament for you here on the game um, starting at 11, and it'll go all the way through the day. They'll be bouncing around to some some of the different matchups, and so that should be a lot of fun. So I'm going to preview some of the things I like about the NCAA tournament. I'll give you my three favorite upset picks. I've kind of gone through and given you some of the notes of why I like those teams, not just giving you the picks, but kind of what I'm thinking about those matchups. Um, as someone who watches a lot of college basketball, especially this time of the year, if we have time, we're going to try and hit on Cajuns baseball and maybe even a little bit about Pro Day. I was over at the facility yesterday for that. Um, but to be honest with you, two hours just might not be enough. So let's start with the New Orleans Saints. Um, and they had two main needs. And we, we knew that coming in to the offseason. The interior defensive line was a bit of a problem at the end of the year last year. Uh, and throughout the season, they weren't quite as good as they've been traditionally against the run. Um, and so they needed to address the interior defensive line and the running back position. Of course, the running back spot was some, something where Alvin Kamara was you know, not himself. I, I don't think it was necessarily a health thing in this instance. It was just he wasn't utilized correctly. And so the guys who were behind him in the, in the depth chart and in the rotations, they didn't play well. And it was a variety of guys. We saw David Johnson. The Saints kind of kicked the tires on some old veterans, and none of them really worked out. And so... You know, those were the two spots that they needed. And we've talked for a long time about the draft being an opportunity to maybe get a premium player at those positions. We also didn't necessarily know how much the Saints were going to have available to them in free agency because we know Mickey Loomis is a wizard with the cap and we need to trust him. But also there's some things that, you know, at times we can't spend the way some of the other teams spend because of the way we manage the money. So we didn't exactly know what they were going to do there. Well, yesterday they addressed some of the biggest needs before we even got to the draft. And we, of course, mentioned the two defensive tackles. Our guy Kevin Foote loves that they got a two big guys in the middle in Nathan Shepard and Kalen Saunders. And I think those are great signings. Um, you know, and I said this in the first show, I think those guys, you, you can at least call it a, you know, 
a scratch as far as them compared to the guys you lost, which was Tuttle and Anyamata. Maybe Anyamata is a little bit better or more established of a player than a couple of the, than these two guys here, but I think the upside is there. Some of the pro football focus grades as far as their run defense and, and specifically the pass rushing is there. And I think the Saints did a great job. They addressed the needs, and now what you can do with that is go into the draft and maybe be more selective, maybe search for that top-end talent, as opposed to feeling like you really had to get bodies uh, on the defensive line. Now maybe you can try and you know do what the Saints always like to do and trade up to get a guy they really like as opposed to just drafting based on need. And just when we thought that that was enough and, and that they had accomplished a lot yesterday, they went out and made a, a big move at running back. Jamal Williams, this is to me, I, I was super ecstatic about this move, you know, and I think there was a few different ways to address running back, and we've mentioned them on this show a lot. It was whether you go out in free agency and spend money on an aging veteran, like a guy like Zeke Elliott, who's going to be coming available. Um, you might have had to spend a little bit more for the name value there. Of course, the the other option and the one that I was kind of thinking a lot of was the draft, you know. The Saints have not been afraid to take running backs early on in drafts in the past, right? They took Mark Ingram in the first round. Even in recent memory, they took Mark Ingram. They took Reggie Bush, of course, with the second overall pick. They took Alvin Kamara in the third round. Now, they valued his talent, I think, more than that. And, of course, he ended up being a steal at that spot. So I figured maybe they would go to the draft route. Instead, they signed Jamal Williams, who's a guy in his career that never really had a great opportunity to be the guy. You know, he came into a situation... Uh, he was brought in with Aaron Jones in Green Bay to start his career. He played, certainly, and was a good player, but was always kind of the second fiddle to Aaron Jones there and, you know, at, at times was frustrating to fantasy football managers of Aaron Jones because Jamal Williams always kind of lingered, right? But he never really took over as the running back in Green Bay, and it kind of made sense when he decided to depart in free agency at last season. And he went to Detroit, and that was an opportunity you still didn't know exactly how that was going to go because they, of course, already had a franchise piece at the running back spot in DeAndre Swift. But boy, did it work out for Jamal Williams. And now, look, part of that was injuries um, to Swift. He couldn't stay fully healthy, so Jamal Williams got leaned on, but he put together a career year. Uh, I don't know if people realize this. Now it's you know it's kind of getting talked about by Saints fans and, and, and Saints media people because of the signing, but Jamal Williams had over 1,000 yards and 17 touchdowns last season. I mean, that is unbelievable. That's, you know, top-level running back type numbers from a guy who still doesn't get talked about all that much. And now look, rushing touchdowns at the running back position, that's, a, that's something that will regress, right? You know, from a fantasy football term, touchdown regression is something that's going to happen. He's not going to score 17 touchdowns this year for the Saints. But if he scored eight or nine, I think you'd be really feeling good about that signing already. Not to mention the pressure he's going to take off of Alvin Kamara uh, and the pressure he's going to take off of a running back room that potentially is going to be without Alvin Kamara for some unknown amount of time when his suspension comes out, right? So this is an really, to me, a perfect signing. And I haven't even got to my favorite part of the signing yet, and that's the price. The Saints got Jamal Williams for $12 million over three years. I mean, look, I, I know the running back market has kind of been uh, down in the dumps, right? And, and the top-level talent, the Christian McCaffreys, the Saquon Barkleys, they're getting paid but past that, teams just aren't willing to kind of spend that type of money anymore ever since what we saw with Zeke Elliott in Dallas. But to get a guy of, of Jamal Williams' caliber at the price you got him at, I think the Saints just won the day yesterday. And it wasn't a move. You know, I saw some rumors and, and some people hoping that they would go after Jamal Williams. I didn't know it was actually in the works. 
And I certainly didn't think it was going to get done at the price it got done. So a job well done once again to Mickey Loomis and that staff. Now, look, they're not done. There's certainly still some things that need to happen with that roster. But I think, first of all, we also need to give Dennis Allen a little bit of credit here. Right. And he was I mean, he got so much criticism last year. I was a part of that. And, you know, I kind of said at the end of last season, if they'd have made a coaching a coaching move and, and fired Dennis Allen, I wouldn't have been super upset about it. Right. Um, I was okay and understood the idea of bringing him back because I don't think firing coaches after one year is a consistently good practice to be involved with. Uh, But overall, I felt like he underachieved, but I still was hoping that there was going to be something. Well, here's a start. And I know Dennis Allen isn't directly involved with bringing players in, but we know how big of a role Sean Payton had in that front office. And you'd imagine that Dennis Allen is at least, you know, in these talks and helping Mickey Loomis with some of these decisions. And for them to get the job done with Derek Carr a week ago, which was, of course, the first domino to all of this, then you bring back Michael Thomas. That's something I haven't even talked a ton about. Like, we we got into it a little bit, but Michael Thomas, where the relationship seemed fractured and done. I mean, we thought he was gone. And you pull it off. Not only do you pull off bringing Michael Thomas back, you bring him back at a reduced price, a price that makes sense for both sides, a price that allows Michael Thomas to maybe come back and have a huge year and get a big contract in New Orleans or elsewhere, but it also gives the Saints some flexible cap space to go out and get a guy like Jamal Williams, to go out and get a guy like Kalen Saunders and Nathan Shepard. So, I, you know, look, I, and I know my guy RP3 is, is always kind of banging the drum for Mickey Loomis, and I, I look, I agree with him. Like, I think sometimes we're so results-oriented, and this team didn't necessarily live up to their expectations a year ago or, you know, even the year before that when they had a ton of quarterback injuries, but... I believe in the process more than the results, and Mickey Loomis right now is winning the offseason to this point. Again, there's a lot, there's a lot left to do, and there's some still some things that need to be addressed. But now you have you, you've given yourself so much more flexibility heading into the rest of free agency and into the draft. You no longer have to, you know, feel like you have to draft based on need. And that's always a dangerous thing to do. When you're drafting based on need, sometimes you have to reach at positions. And I think the Saints have been a team that's always tried to basically draft at the you know peak level players and and they've done it with the raw athletic score and that's something they value a lot but I think this year is a chance to maybe go out and get some really good football players some premium players at the less valuable positions the less you know the lower priced positions and if they're able to do that I mean the NFC South's wide open that's another thing we haven't even fully talked about the NFC South um, look, Baker Mayfield's going down to Tampa. He was, of course, rumored to kind of be in the mix for the Saints for a while. I think uh, how, how well did that work out for the Saints, right? You end up bringing in Derek Carr and your starting quarterback of other teams in your divisions, now Baker Mayfield and potentially Andy Dalton in Carolina. Now Carolina is likely going to bring a quarterback in via the number one overall pick. We'll see if that player plays or not, right? But even if they do start a rookie number one, I'd feel pretty good about the Saints' chances to beat a rookie quarterback. I feel really good about the Saints' chances to beat Baker Mayfield in Tampa Bay. And that leaves Atlanta. Are they going to make a move there? We saw them bring in you know, a, a guy from the Commanders in Taylor Heineke the other day. Heineke's had an up-and-down career, but of course he's not a premium, high-level guy. Desmond Ritter showed some flashes. He played, I thought, a decent game against the Saints in the Dome last year. He was up against it again. He's a young player. I see some potential there, but it doesn't look like he's ready to take over an offense. So who poses the biggest threat to the Saints in the NFC South? I honestly don't know who it is. My gut would tell me Carolina because of the way they played down the stretch. And now they bring in a guy like Andy Dalton who can maybe stabilize things offensively a little bit for him. 
But guess what? They just traded away their best pass catcher in DJ Moore to get the number one overall pick. So is Carolina ready to compete with you in the division? I think maybe the, the, the argument there is how do the Saints do outside of the NFC South? Do they win enough games otherwise? But as far as winning the division, it's wide open right now. And I think the Saints are the clear-cut favorites. You know, when the Derek Carr signing happened, I thought they were the favorites. Now a couple of these other moves that take place, both with the Saints and with the other teams in the division, I think it's clear-cut. Um, I, I, don't, I don't have a doubt that the Saints are the best team in the NFC South today. Now that's going to change, right? The offseason uh, is going to have some things that take place. I'm sure some of those teams are, are not done making moves. We've seen, hey, we've seen Atlanta get better at least. They have went out and spent some money. They brought in Caden Ellis, right? But overall, you've put yourself in a really good spot. And um, I, I haven't found myself feeling this optimistic about the Saints' chances, you know, since Sean Payton and perhaps Drew Brees were here, to be honest with you. Um, now, all this has to happen on the field. And we know that this, you know, the the division's not won in the off season. It's certainly not won on March sixteenth. But you've taken some steps in the right direction. So one thing I do want to bring up about today's show is the phone lines are going to be a little bit difficult. So in case you're watching on the simulcast, I am producing and hosting today. So not going to have much of a chance to get to the phone lines. So we have an alternative. I've went ahead and put a tweet up on game under game underscore Louisiana on Twitter. Um, you'll see the footnotes logo, and that's going to be where you can kind of leave some comments and questions you have. Can't promise we're going get to get to all of them because, again, it's just that busy of a show. We're going to have a lot to talk about. But I'll try and address some of your comments and questions that any of you have and want to interact with us here on the show today. We've got to take a timeout. But when we return, we'll talk to Stevie P. We'll talk a little Saints, a little Cajuns, and uh, maybe a little bit more. That's next right here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update. Presented by Tibbs Trailers here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Dawson Eisler filling in for Kevin Foote here on the game. And next up, we're going to talk to a guy who makes the Thursday editions of Footnotes just that much better. It's our friend Stevie P. How's it going, Stevie? Hey, good morning, Dawson. How are you, my friend? Oh, I'm doing well. I'm doing great because, look, it's, it's quite a busy day, too. And so there's been no shortage of things to talk about. The Cajuns are playing in the tournament. The Saints are making moves. I mean, what more could you ask for? Well, that's true. You know, it's a, it's an exciting time. You know, I, I talk about the NCAA tournament a lot, uh, Dawson. I, I think the first week, first four days are the best postseason out there. But I tend to disagree with the people that say that the NCAA tournament is the best postseason all around because I think that interest actually wanes as the tournament goes on. You know, everybody fills out a, a bracket and everybody has their teams in there. But once people's brackets start getting busted a little bit and their teams get eliminated, I think the, the interest tends to wane. I think the best postseason, or my idea of the best postseason, is a postseason in which the, the momentum builds and the interest rises a little bit. But there, to me, there's no doubt that the first week, you know, the first weekend of, of the NCAA tournament is just, uh, well, well, special, and that's an understatement. 
Well, I would fully agree with that, and, and I kind of touched on that already. I would agree with you, too. I, NFL playoffs for me, because of that build you talk about, I think the Super Bowl kind of is the culmination of that. But uh, these first two days are, are really two of my favorite sports days of the year. So before we get started, I have some Saints questions for you, and then we'll get back to the Cajuns. But let us know what's going on over with uh, Lafayette Parks and Rec. Well, we've got two more weeks to go, Dawson, to get your kid, uh, whether it be a, 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 a boy or a girl, uh, signed up for our baseball softball registration. Uh, again, uh, we're, we're parks and recreation, so we get the question. Uh, the question I get a lot of the time is, oh, well, my kid is not advanced. Well, yeah, uh, they, they have travel ball and whatnot, and, of course, those are great uh, opportunity for kids to travel around playing baseball at a high level. But uh, we're Parks and Recreation, so we got a spot for you, uh, no matter if your kid hasn't played before or whether or not they are advanced. But we got baseball, softball registration going on over the next two weeks. Uh, if your child is between the ages of 5 and 14 years of age, we'll certainly find a spot for them. Uh, very cheap, $35 per, uh, per child. That's You could check out anywhere around the country, and you'll see that our prices are as good as anywhere, and that's only to cover the uniform prices. But, uh, again, two weeks and then uh, we'll start putting the teams together and get going. So uh, give us a call. Uh, my office number is 291-8380. That's 291-8380. Just leave a message. If I'm not there, I'll be more than happy to, to call you back, and we'll get you set for the, uh, for the baseball softball season. We also have some uh, track and field events that are going to be beginning on April 1st, which, by the way, is the first day of WrestleMania, uh, uh, Dawson, one of my favorite, another wow. one of my favorite weekends of the year. And uh, we'll have our track events going throughout the month of April. Again, if you got any questions about the events or want to register your child, give me a call, 291-8380. Well, plenty of exciting stuff there. So let's, let's talk about the Saints a little bit because I just did a segment on this, and, and I've, I've honestly been blown away by what Mickey Loomis has been able to do. But yesterday, we already, of course, saw Derek Carr and then Michael Thomas, and then I didn't even mention it, but Jameis Winston is back. And then yesterday he goes out and gets two defensive tackles and a really good running back. What are your thoughts on what the Saints have been able to do in this first stage of free agency? Considering um, uh, the fact that they always seem to be strapped against the cap, I thought they've done outstanding. You know, I mean, they they signed two defensive tackles that could certainly play in their rotation. There's no question about it. You know, Jamal Williams was a guy – somebody asked me yesterday, said, you know, you think the Saints would have any interest in – in Zeke Elliott or Jamal Williams, and, I, and my response was, was I think they have interest, but I don't know that they can afford them. And it was like a, about 45 minutes after that uh, came the report that the Saints were going to sign Jamal Williams. And, look, Williams had a career year last year. He's not going to run for 17 touchdowns in 2023. But you look at him throughout his career with the, with the Packers and with the Lions, he's a guy that runs the ball in between the tackles. He's very good in goal line situations. What the Saints don't have or didn't have, at least prior to yesterday, is what I call a guy who, who's a, 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 a red zone type of guy. And we view that as a, right. as a receiver. But you know, I don't think the Saints had that for a running back either. You know, Chris Olave is, is a, an elite young receiver, but he's not what I call a post-up receiver, a red zone receiver. Uh, and the Saints with Alvin Kamara, you know, he scored some touchdowns early in his career, but he's not what I call an in-between-the-tackles touchdown guy. Jamal Williams is. So I think they made themselves a lot better. But you, you brought up a good point. You mentioned Jameis Winston and, and Michael Thomas. Uh, you know, Las Vegas almost takes bets on anything. 
although I don't think they would have been taking bets on this, but last week, yeah. uh, what do you think the odds would have been uh, uh, if they would have said, okay, uh, you could place a bet that, that, that Jameis Winston and Michael Thomas are still going to be on the Saints next week? Oh, it, it's crazy. And, you know, the funny thing about that, too, is we get a chance to talk to some different people who cover the Saints throughout the week this week, and, and all of them were just as surprised as we were. You know, I thought maybe some of them would have been like, well, yeah, this is in the works. Everybody seems to be just as blown away, you know, that covers the team and that is a fan of the team. So for them to go out and do that, I, I was stunned. But now that you have these guys in place and, and we've kind of talked about how we like the signings, you know, the, the NFL draft's coming up and that's where the Saints were kind of rumored to be going in the first round. Would have been, you know, in the interior defensive line, maybe one of the talented running backs. Do you see these moves changing how they're going to approach draft day? I think so. I, I do. You know, I mentioned they didn't have a post-up receiver. You hope you have that now with Michael Thomas. You know, you, you didn't have a guy that's going to run the ball in between the tackles. You have that now with uh, with Jamal Williams. Uh, you know, you lose on Yamada. You lose uh, Davenport, but you pick up. You know, the, the the two free agent defensive tackles that you signed uh, that you signed yesterday. The Saints put themselves in a position to really draft the best available athlete. You know, you hear that term, but. It's nice to say, but sometimes, I mean, if you don't have a, a linebacker or you don't have a cornerback and, you know, you think that maybe a, an offensive lineman is a better player than those guys on the board, but it's hard to pass on a, on a need, especially if a guy can come in and play right away. But I really do that, think that the Saints have put themselves in a position now to draft the best player available, which is what you want to do anyway. I mean, the idea to me of free agency is to really solve all your quote-unquote needs and then draft the best player available, and, and, and that's another thing that the Saints have done here. Well, yeah, and, and don't be surprised. I've already said it a little bit. If Mickey Loomis can't help himself but to trade up the way he always does, now that he has a little more flexibility, you might see them try to go up into the first round and get a guy they like. So let's switch gears a little bit and talk Cajuns. It's been an exciting week. I mean, we've basically tried to break this down from every different angle we could, but you know, Bob Marlin's team achieved so much this year, and yet now they're coming into this tournament with the idea that the job's not done. They've got a chance, and, and I don't think the matchup was the best one they could have gotten, but I don't think it was the worst. So where do you you know stand on how UL's chances look against Tennessee tonight? I, I think their chances are, are, are fairly good, Dawson. And I mean, you know, to be honest with you, Tennessee is the favorite. They, you know, they should be the favorite, but the mm-hmm. Cajuns could win the basketball game. And, you know, I, I hate to sound uh, so simplistic about this, but they just got to make shots. You know, I mean, if they make shots, uh, they're going to be right there in the game. The last time that they won an NCAA tournament game, the Cajuns, was what, the 91-92 season mm-hmm. when they beat Oklahoma? And they won that game. They, they would play in Tempe, Arizona, and they couldn't miss. I mean, you know, people coming off the bench on that team was Michael Allen. I mean, Michael Allen wasn't even a starter. He came off the bench on that team. And, uh, and, and Todd Hill and Tony Moore. And those guys came off the bench and were hitting threes and hitting shots like it was not. Uh, Tony, uh, Tony Moore had a, just an incredible, incredible game. And, and I get it. There's a lot that goes involved into getting shots, you know, spacing offensively, coming off screens, transition, defense that creates transition. You know, it's simplistic to say, well, they, you know, they, uh, they have to make shots. But, right. Because there's a lot that goes into it. But yet at the same time, that's what it's all about. I mean, if they're able to shoot, you know, 45% from the floor, they got a chance to win the basketball game. So I'm like you. I look at the matchup and I say, you know, uh, you know, it's not, it's not a matchup that I look at and say, boy, that's a great matchup for the Cajuns. But it's not a matchup that I look at and say, man, 
you know, some, some crazy things are going to have to happen for the Cajuns to win. I think it's, it, it's about what I expected, and I think that their chances are, uh, are at least decent tonight against Tennessee. Well, one of the storylines that we've talked about this week and has been a big focus for the Cajuns is Greg Williams. Of course, Greg was so good for stretches this year. I mean, was really your best offensive player at one point during conference play. He goes down with an injury. He plays in the first half of the championship game, but doesn't really have a lot. And he just they go ahead and sit him in the second half. We know he's going to play. He's going to be out there. But how much of a concern is it for you if Greg Williams goes out there and has a similar situation to the championship game where he just can't go and you lose him maybe midway through this first half? How much do you think that changes things for the Cajuns? Well, I think it changes it because he, he, he's going to have to give him some minutes. I mean, you know, I, I'm not expecting, you know, 32-35, but I'm expecting some minutes from Greg Williams. You know, I think one of the big differences between this team this year and last year, and, of course, last year they had a great run at the end of the year. But, you know, Greg came in and, you know, it was a lot expected of him, and he played out of position last year, you know, and, and, right. and you know, he's more of a chew, he's more of a wing player, and he's just looked a whole lot more comfortable this year. And, you know, Themis Fultz has, has, you know, done his job at the point guard position. But the other thing that Greg Williams does is, is provide defense. You know, I mean, you know, we know what he can do offensively, but if you look at him defensively, uh, he's a guy that you could really put on, uh, the opposition's, you know, first or second option uh, for, from a scoring standpoint, and he could really, really shut them down. And, you know, you kind of, your brain kind of knows where you're going offensively. Defensively, you have to react to what the other guy's doing. And I think that's going to put, uh, that's going to put a little bit more pressure, obviously, on his, on his foot, on his legs. And, and yeah, that, that's a concern for me. I, I, again, he's not going to have to play, you know, 32 minutes tonight, but I think they're going to need at least 20 quality minutes defensively from Greg Williams tonight to be able to win the basketball game. I would tend to agree with that. I'll get you out on a fun one. Um, If this team is able to get the job done against Tennessee tonight and all goes well, do you see any Cinderella qualities of this team about making a run past tonight's game if they were to play like a team, a team such as Duke in the second round, or do you think one game, one win in this tournament's best case scenario? Well, you know, that's a great question because I think they match up better with Duke. Number one, I think the ACC is overrated this year as a whole. I, I mean, it just is. Certainly. Uh, you know, you hear Duke and, you know, I, look, it's, it, I don't want to make it sound like they're a bunch of donkeys because they're good. But there's a reason why Duke is, is the fifth seed and Tennessee is the fourth seed. You know what I mean? I, I, Tennessee's a better basketball team. So, and the Cajuns match up better against Duke. So from that aspect, I would say, you know, yeah, you know, I like their chances better. But what a lot of teams do is from 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 non-major conferences, uh, uh, Dawson, is mm-hmm. they win that game and they celebrate. You know, right. okay, it's our national championship, and they're still in celebration mode once they get to the second round. It all depends upon your state of mind. You know, if if the Cajuns win the basketball game, and you know they really are there to 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 uh, to, to take care of business, going as far as they could possibly go then I think they got a better chance against Duke than they get, get against Tennessee. If they win tonight and, you know, their goal was to go over there and win one basketball game, then, then basically they have no shot against Duke. So I know that sounds like a wishy-washy answer, but it just would all depend upon their mindset. But just from a basketball standpoint, Tennessee's better than Duke, so I would think that the Cajuns would have a better chance against Duke. Well, it, it should be fun to watch regardless of what happens. Thanks, as always, Stevie P. We'll, uh, we'll get you back on next week when Kevin's back in town, and uh, it should be fun to watch. Thanks for coming on. That sounds good, Dawson. As always, it's been your pleasure.
This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is Footnotes, live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Dawson Isolo filling in for Kevin Foote, who is on his way to Orlando to cover the Cajuns, of course, playing in the NCAA tournament tonight against Tennessee and hopefully uh, playing again on Saturday. We will have to see if that becomes the case. Now, we did, you know, we've done a, a segment already on the Saints, and there we talked a little bit both Saints and Cajuns uh, with Stevie P. But I want to get back to the NCAA tournament a little bit here. As I've kind of been been telling you all, this is really the two-day stretch in which I thrive. Uh, I absolutely love the NCAA tournament, specifically the first two rounds, and I fully agree. I kind of mentioned that already. I fully agree with Stevie P. I think the first two days, the first two weekends, are more fun even than the Final Four, uh, which takes place later on. And, and, and at that point, I still enjoy it. I still watch it. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, for me, it's more of the magic of the, the Cinderella story, the big upsets. That's what kind of gets me you know, fired up to watch the NCAA tournament. And so there, that's what I want to kind of talk about here. I've kind of went through this bracket, and as I always do, I filled out my uh, my one true bracket, and then, of course, I'll fill out some other ones for fun. Um, but I have my one bracket in which I uh, think is going to happen, and I like to pick some of the biggest upsets, you know, when I see them, and, and especially with teams that I'm familiar with. And so, you know, I've got three picked out here that I'll take, and I already mentioned this on RP3 and Company. For me, a first-round upset has got to be a 12-seed or lower. I know a lot of people consider, and look, an 11 over 6 is is somewhat of an upset. I understand that. But for instance, like Pittsburgh and Arizona State, those are power conference teams. You know, Pittsburgh was up near the top of the ACC for a long time this season um, that are going to go in and play a six-seeded team that's better than them, certainly. That's why they're seeded six. But I don't consider that as much of an upset. When you get to the 12-seed line, you start to get those really good mid-major power conference champions. Now, in my opinion, I think a lot of those teams should be seeded a lot better than they are. I think Oral Roberts as a 12 seed is is kind of disgusting this year. I think College of Charleston as a 12 seed is ridiculous. Uh, I think Florida Atlantic as a 9 seed. They're 13th in the NCAA in their net ranking. They're a 9 seed. So I think some of that seeding is certainly unfair, but those are the bigger upsets where you know, people don't believe in the non-power conference teams. So those are the ones that I like to focus on. And I'll start here. I think Drake's going to beat Miami today. Uh, I, I really do. You know, and, and that's been one, and we had Lee Sterling on RP3 and company today. He kind of thinks the other way around. He thinks Miami's going to be able to win that game. Norchad O'Meara, of course, is a Sunbelt transfer. He went to Arkansas State and, you know, kind of played really well against the Cajuns, to be honest with you, while he was there. Um that game's actually tomorrow, by the way. I said today. So tomorrow, I think Drake is going to beat Miami. Miami's a good team, but I do kind of buy into the ACC being a little overrated, that idea. I really do. And, and you know, as someone who follows Florida State basketball, having gone there for, um, you know, my graduate studies, I, um, I saw a good bit of ACC basketball this year, and it's definitely a down year. And so Miami was uh, one of the better teams in that conference for much of the season, but I just don't know how much stock I'm putting in that. I think O'Meara's a great player, and he's a game changer, and he's hurt. And, you know, look, they're, they're saying the reports are that he's going to play, and he might be feeling pretty good, but 
when you rely on a guy the way that they've relied on him at times, and I know, look, they have guard scoring. They certainly do. Um, they have guys who can score other than Omir. It's not like they rely on him, but he's so important to them defensively. Averages over a block a game. He's their leading rebounder by far, and it's not even close. So even though I think Miami's got other ways to score, I worry about them defensively in this matchup. And Drake happens to be a team that I've gotten to see. So, you know, I've kind of talked about this on our YouTube channel this week with my mock draft, and, you know, I like to, to draft in those types of things players that I know a little bit more. So you might see a few Sunbelt Conference players since of you know how much I watch UL football you might see some more uh, SEC guys that I see more often you know just being in this area and watching that Um, and in the NCAA tournament sometimes those upsets that I like to take are teams that I've seen play and Drake happens to be a team I've seen play a couple of times this year Um, I saw them play against the Cajuns early on in the season and that was the Cajuns you know it was it was kind of a maybe a measuring stick game at the time, right? That was their first loss of the year, if you'll remember. And they had gotten off to a hot start in non-conference play, but so had Drake. And they went on the road, and it was kind of a, here we go, let's see what we have this year type of game. And they competed. It was a close game throughout, but Drake was kind of in control. You know, they never really pulled away until the very end, but they were kind of in control. Uh, And they've got a guy, Tucker DeVries, who can just flat-out score. Uh, He's their leading scorer. He's a coach's son. His dad happens to be the head coach of the team. Um, he's a guy who you can tell that when he plays because of how cerebral he is and how smart he is with the basketball. He's going to fill it up for them. And like I just think they have you know, kind of that mentality also. And again, a team that probably feels they should be a little bit higher seed than they are. You know, They played in a pretty good conference this year and then won it, and they dominated the conference tournament. They won every game in the Missouri Valley Conference Tournament by double digits. And that's a conference with some good teams. You know, uh, and of course, some uh, some really competitive teams. They were able to run through that tournament, and I think they they're playing with a level of confidence against a Miami team that, again, may or may not have their best player at his 100% capabilities, or if not their best player, certainly one of their best players, their best defensive player, their best rebounder. So I like Drake, you know, and it's it's interesting too the spread of that game and again I, I don't like to bet but I like to look at spreads and kind of think about how that impacts the matchup like what does what does Vegas know that that I'm not thinking about here or maybe the other way around you know what am I thinking of that maybe isn't factored into the spread that spreads down to two points last I checked so that tells me something that tells me that you know Vegas either and look Vegas spreads can move of course based on how the money comes in and something like that so that can impact that but they're saying it's going to be close. I agree with them, and I, you know, put the ball in Tucker DeVries' hands at the end of that game, and uh, let's see what happens. I like the Bulldogs. Moving on, I, I really think VCU is going to beat St. Mary's, and that's tough for me because St. Mary's is a team I always like watching the West Coast Conference. Um, I think it gets a bad rep. Of course, people talk about how uh, Gonzaga is not in a real conference and they should be in the Pac-12 or wherever they should play. Um, the West Coast Conference has been getting better and better over the last few years, and this year might have been its best year in a long time. And St. Mary's was a part of that, right? They come in as a five seed. They've been ranked throughout the season. They've had big wins. They're a very good team. But they come in not playing their best basketball. They got blown out by Gonzaga in the West Coast Championship game. And that matters to me because this was kind of the year where it started to feel like St. Mary's might overtake Gonzaga. And there was some talks. Of course, Gonzaga's in a little bit of a down year compared to where they've been in the past. Um, You know, they lose the number one overall pick to the NBA. Um, or, or the top five pick, I should say, in Chet moving on. And they weren't quite as dominant. So St. Mary's felt like maybe this is our chance. And then 
Gonzaga beat them by double digits at the end of the regular season and then blew them out in the championship game. So I wonder where St. Mary's confidence is heading into a matchup like this. I really do. That concerns me for them. Um, VCU's another team that has some pretty good wins, right? They beat Pitt during the regular season. It's not like they don't have any non-conference wins. That's another reason I think the seeding kind of gets funny when you're putting this team as a 12 seed, but that's kind of how it goes. And look, they have a couple of losses that aren't great, so that's fair. But they also won every game of their conference tournament by double digits. They've won nine games in a row coming into this. You know, they don't have any scores over 13 points a game. Some people might look at it as look at that as a negative. I look at it as they can get their scoring from anywhere. You don't know who's going to beat you on any given night. So I fear a team like VCU in a matchup like this. And I just wonder, again, St. Mary's had their confidence ding. They thought maybe they were going to beat the Bulldogs and kind of become the kings of the West Coast Conference. It didn't happen like that. Are they able to overcome that? And I think, unfortunately, they just run into a team that's a little bit too good for them tonight, you know, to, to try to figure that, those things out confidence-wise. My last pick here, and my favorite one of them all, is Kent State over Indiana. This is a 13-4 matchup, and I've been high on the Golden Flashes ever since I started kind of paying attention to what the MAC race was looking like at the end there. Uh, look, shout out the Ohio Bobbies and my guy Kelly. They couldn't get it done in the conference tournament. They gave Toledo a scare, but they couldn't complete the job. And Kent State was able to beat a really good Toledo team that won the MAC in the regular season. Um, this flash, this Golden Flashes team, has a lot of guys who can score. And when you look at a team like Indiana, I understand how impressive some of their resume is. Again, I personally think the Big Ten's in a down year, so I struggle to put a ton of stock in where they finished in the Big Ten. Trace Jackson Davis is one of the premier players, and you're going to hear his name come up a lot um, over this tournament. Now, I personally think it won't be that much because I think they'll be done on day one but if they move on Trace Jackson Davis is a name you're going to hear they have good players but they were very inconsistent they went on a three-game losing streak in Big Ten play that really concerned me and then of course they had the big win against Purdue and I think that's another thing that really gets people you know thinking this team's going to be really good in this tournament is that they beat Purdue but then the game after that they lost by 22 to Iowa and they really didn't play their best basketball ever since that heading into the rest of the regular season in the Big Ten tournament so I kind of wonder where Indiana's at confidence-wise and how they're going to come out. And Kent State, look, they got a couple of guards, Sincere Carey and Malik Jacobs. Those guys combined for over 30 points a game. But they've also got a forward in Mirren Thomas who averages over 11 a game. So another team that can score in a variety of ways, and I think that matters in a tournament like this. Your best players, it's one and done, right? Your best players might have not have their best game. You have to have somebody come up. And Kent State, look, I'll go ahead and say this as well. If you're looking for a team that could potentially make a two-game run or a three-game run in this tournament as a double-digit seed, I think the Golden Flashes might be that team. I'm really high on them going into this, and, and I think they're going to beat Indiana. So we've covered all that. You know, In the next segment, I want to talk a little bit about the World Baseball Classic. I know a lot of people don't care about it. Me and Kevin Foote do care about it, and Team USA was able to get a gritty win last night to avoid the embarrassment that would have been not making the knockout stages. We'll talk about that a little bit next right here on Footnotes. On the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. A recent survey discovered that game listeners prefer our station than going to the dentist. Take that, dental hygiene. This is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back 
to footnotes on the game. Again, Dawson Isler filling in for Kevin Foote, who is covering the Cajuns in Orlando. So, wanted to get to some of those questions and comments we talked about on the Twitter. Jay asks, who is your top choice for the Saints' first round pick in the draft this year? Not that the Saints' offseason moves have happened yesterday. You know, that's interesting, Jay, and I'm glad you asked because I was pretty confident I wanted a defensive tackle in the first round. Um, that was where I went in my mock draft. I took Siaki Ika from Baylor, uh, the big run stopper who many of you may remember who played at LSU to begin his college career. And, you know, now that they've kind of addressed that, the, the first place I would have went was running back. Oh, maybe one, of, maybe one of those premium running backs will kind of get one of those guys in the building. Well, they went out and got Jamal Williams. So not to say you can't address defensive tackle or running back now, but it's interesting. So for now, I'm still leaning kind of the defensive line. You know, I know Saints fans are overtaking defensive linemen, specifically edge rushers from smaller schools that are, you know, have great athletic scores, but not a lot of production. But I think maybe uh, maybe you try and try and do something like that. We also have uh, BRZ Sports Show asks, thoughts on Pelicans basketball the next three games, two games against the Rockets, one against the Spurs. Yeah, look, I, I've been I've been kind of down on the Pelicans as most of us are right now. And, you know, the funny thing is the Rockets are playing pretty good basketball right now. I still think you should beat those teams, of course. Um, but, yeah, if, if you want any chance of doing anything in the playing game, then you need to go ahead and beat the Rockets and the Spurs. But overall, I'm just down on the, on the Pelicans as a whole right now. I'm just upset and frustrated with what's going on. Um, hopefully we get some good news about Zion here moving forward, and maybe we can kind of start to think about that. But overall... Um, just not a great mindset on the Pelicans right now. So, um, you know, that's why I didn't include them in today's show. But uh, you got the question there, so we had to mention them. So thank you for that. But, um, look, I want to mention Team USA and what they did in the World Baseball Classic last night. Um, I can't say I watched all this game because, of course, I am the morning producer and I have to be at the station um, pretty early. But the Team USA got the job done. And I saw the first few innings of this game, and uh, I went to sleep right after Mike Trout was able to give him the lead. And Trout did what he should do, right? And, and Kevin Foote had a great rant earlier in the week about Mike Trout and how he needed to do something. Well, he seemed to have listened because he led the team in just about every category from there on out. And he had three RBIs last night. You beat a gritty Columbia team and you move on. So you avoid the embarrassment that would have been, of course, losing in the in the knock or not in the group stages of this tournament. But you now have to face Venezuela in your first quarterfinal. And look, the, the way the format is, in case you haven't been keeping up, there's already been two quarterfinals that have taken place. Cuba beat Australia 4-3, to and then Japan this morning actually beat Italy 9-3. to So Japan and Cuba are already in the semis. The other two matchups are going to be USA against Venezuela and Puerto Rico against Mexico. There wasn't necessarily going to be an easy path anyway um, in the quarterfinals, but the U.S. certainly didn't do themselves favors by not winning the group. Because now you get the winner of Pool D, which is Venezuela. And, I mean, look, that's going to be a tough game. I mean, that team is loaded. And, you know, the the questions have always been about pitching for the U.S. I think we kind of knew that coming in. That's where you haven't had, you know, maybe the best guys you could have had on the roster. Um, that's a lineup. You know, of course, Astros fans know Jose Altuve is on that team. There's a bunch of Astros players on that roster, in fact. And, and there's just a ton of guys. Acuna, of course, in the outfield and – Miguel Cabrera's on that roster, Salvi Perez. Like, they're a veteran group, and it's no longer the U.S.'s tournament to kind of, it's theirs to lose, right, in my opinion. I think they now are going to have to dig their, themselves out of this. And, you know, it's interesting, too, to get into a one-game situation in a, in, a, in a baseball tournament. You don't see that a whole lot, 
but you get it in something like the World Baseball Classic. So I think it's going to be fun. Um, and that game's going to be at 6 o'clock uh, on Saturday. So maybe I'll finally get to watch a full World Baseball Classic game for the U.S. uninterrupted because the games wouldn't be start. Ironically, since it's on Saturday, that would have been my best chance to stay up late and watch it. But that's just not how the schedule played out. That's going to do it for hour number one here on Footnotes. But do not worry. We have another hour to come. And we're going to start it off by talking to our guy, Kevin Foote. He's en route to Orlando. He is uh, ready to cover the Cajuns. We're going to get an update on his travels. We'll see where he is. I'm not sure if he's made it to Orlando just yet or if he's still en route. Um, And we're, of course, going to talk Saints with him. We're going to talk Cajuns. We'll probably have him on for the first two segments of hour number two. So that's all coming up next right here on The Game. Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foote. Welcome back to hour number two. Dawson Isler filling in for Kevin Foote here on Footnotes. We want to remind you, of course, that we are broadcasting live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. Evco Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction Covered a lot in hour number one. Hour number two, we're going to kick off with the man himself, the usual host of this show, Kevin Foote, who is on his way to Orlando. Kevin, how is it going? How has your trip been so far? I uh, pretty good. A little um, my I I got some advice on what road to take last night, and of course, I went with the GPS and regretted it. So you know that's still, but other than that, it's going good. I'm about to be in your. In a matter of a few minutes in your old stomping grounds of Tallahassee. Oh, well, there you go. Unfortunately, yeah. there's nothing exciting going on for the uh, men's tournament with the Knowles, but the women's team is in the tournament, so I'm sure Tallahassee will be buzzing with that. Yeah. So, you know, we talked about it yesterday on the show when the defensive tackle news came, because that was still while we were on the air. And, of course, you were a big fan of that. I was a big fan of that. But then they might have went out and topped themselves after that because Jamal Williams gets signed. I mean, I wouldn't say out of nowhere, but I hadn't heard a lot of serious rumors about it. So you got to be excited. You got a downhill runner. Oh, beyond excited. Of course, you know, it's hard for me to. I'm traveling and, and you know, I'm trying not to text and drive because you're not supposed to do that. And, and they keep flooding my phone with this. And then I'm like, I can't even process this right now, but no, it is, it is very exciting. Um, again, I don't know what took so long to address this issue, but the beauty of, of Jamal, like he had a really good year this year. So, you know, the beauty of him is he is a downhill runner. He is what I wanted and more. What I wanted all of last year is to get someone who's had some time at least of being a number one running back and knows how to handle the load, but isn't in a situation where he can, like, demand, you know, the ball and be a full-time starter. And so, I mean, this is just beyond what I was hoping for. I I think it's tremendous. Well, and something that I kind of started looking at, and I know the Lions didn't use him in that, that way last year, but he's also a pretty proven pass catcher. So you're not getting a guy that's only a between the tackles runner. He's not an elite back, but he's a pretty good all around running back in the league. I mean, in my opinion. He is, and he's, he's uh, you know, he seems like he's a little quirky. You remember he had oh, that yeah. uh, interview last year. Uh, nothing bad, just kind of funny and quirky. So he might fit in perfectly with uh, with 41 and them back there. But, no, it is uh, – no, it is, that, that that is tremendous. They obviously had a plan. 
And now they've all, like you said, are the two neat areas that we were talking about. They normally do a good job of at least addressing the quote-unquote need area so they don't feel like it's a must-have. And now, you know, if they really want to pick, I still think they ought to get another running back, whether it's a free agent or a rookie. I'd rather a rookie because it's just cheaper, and it's a rookie kind of a position. And now, But now if they want to go out and get a tight end, they can or, or hopefully address the safety position because that's the last – area that I'm a little and really an offensive guard I mean I I think I'm even more I, I was open to the idea of picking an offensive guard before in the first or second round but now I'm really open to it well yeah and that's that was going to kind of be where I went next because when we we kind of address it with the defensive tackles that gives you more flexibility I still wouldn't be opposed to taking a defensive tackle in the first round if it's the best player that they think is on the board but you bring up a good point do you now kind of shift it? Do you think maybe offensive line? Do you think, I mean, it's really funny. Now they can kind of do whatever they want. And I guess that's a good thing because you can now chase value instead of chasing, you know, need. Right. And, again, we were, I think they were already somewhat in that position because, like we've been saying, that unless they just really want feel or feel like they need an edge rusher, and there's plenty of edge rushers out there, uh, potentially. The problem with that many edge rushers is you know only certain percentage of them are going to work and a certain percentage of them are going to be bust, and you just have to hope you don't get the bust like Davenport was. But, you uh, you know, other than edge rusher, unless they just really feel like they need one badly, you know, they're not going to – they're going to be going after positions where you can get the first or second or third best right. player at that position – uh, in the draft at 29 or 41, where as opposed to other positions where you'd be getting a sixth, seventh, eighth guy in those spots. Well, uh, I'm not sure if you saw any of it. Did you get a chance to watch any of the Cajuns baseball game against Mississippi State last night? I did not. I uh, When I got where I was, was and I stayed in the Destin area last night, I just, you know, right. I, I looked at the box score and, Saw that they got 10 hits, saw that nine of them were singles, saw that they left nine guys on base. They've been struggling to get hits with runners in scoring position and uh, had some good pitching performances and just kind of could have been, could have, would have, should have kind of game it looked like. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And, and you know, I kind of mentioned it, John. T- you know, they come up in the ninth inning down two, and Ben Robichaux, who had two hits all of a sudden out of nowhere, he hits a double, and you get the tying run of the plate couple of guys get out and then John Taylor gets called out on a pitch that was a foot outside and high and the guy's throwing 97 like I don't know if you agree with me but when a guy's throwing 97 he can't get any help off the plate like you can't be helping that guy and that's what they were doing this guy and I mean John Taylor look and we we got to talk to John Taylor the other day he's a funny guy I mean he just looked like like you're really going to call me out on a 97 mile an hour pitch a foot outside and high yeah, I did not see that part. No, uh, that is uh, like I always say: give them a Snickers if they're hungry. Uh, it'll satisfy them for a little while. <laughs> well, you know, and I think that it's interesting too. Now, as we turn the page, and we'll talk a little bit about this before we move to basketball, is your he- it's conference play. Like it doesn't feel like it's conference play already, but it is. And you got to play an Arkansas State team that maybe isn't going to finish at the top of what we think is going to be a pretty competitive Sun Belt, but. It's time to go now if you're the Cajuns. And I don't know if, if they're fully settled with the lineup. Now, 
Coach Deggs told us he was going to do some things with the lineup. You were going to see some guys play that you maybe hadn't seen a lot. We saw Landry Wilkerson start last night, and you know uh, Amadi was in the lineup. It was a couple weird things like that, but maybe that's Deggs. Do you think that's Deggs being confident in his lineup that wasn't that lineup, the lineup we've seen before? Or do you think he's still unsettled and we're going to still see this kind of shuffling going on in conference play? Well, Monday he kind of said they're going to. He kind of likes the idea of having five or six spots that are pretty stable, and then the others, you know, you're going to see some fluctuation. I mean, it it seems like it's really not that all dissimilar to a situation that softball's in right now because he's got a lot of young players, just like Coach Glasgow does that that he really likes and he does, and he wants to get them at bats for if he needs them in an injury situation or he, or, or he just thinks they can hit or, you know, to keep them sharp as pinch hitters as well. So I, I don't. I, I think they might be both doing the same kind of scenario there where, you know, you know you're going to play Corson and, and DeBarge and Brock and, you know, they're in, in Hood, and so there's four or five guys you know you're going to play every day, but the other ones could be a revolving door, and, and it can work that way. I mean, um, that way you don't feel like you have to ride guys in long slumps for very long, and you got a lot of options there. Well, the other issue is is the pitching rotation, and I don't know if it's – I guess it's it's worked out a little better than what I was kind of worried about in the offseason when you lost Schultz and Tally and those types of guys. But, you know, you had the interesting situation where McGee, he was out, you know, after making a, the first start, and then Neza wasn't very good. But eventually those guys kind of come around a little bit. But also we saw Brendan Moody pitch an inning last night. So, you know – did that surprise you? And do you think that means maybe they're going to shake things up in the rotation? I know, you know, Deggs hasn't really mentioned the idea of that. Maybe it's just getting him an inning of work on a Wednesday. But I thought it was it was kind of strange that he came in at the end of that game. Yeah, I I, I think it could be just like a bullpen inning. Uh, I kind of still like this. I don't think there's any way McGee can start this weekend, or that would surprise right. me anyway. So I, I kind of still would expect Moody to start. You know, they might do Jackson on Saturday and Moody on Sunday. That working that way. Um, I'm sure we'll we, we'll probably get word on that this afternoon with the projected uh, start rotation is. But I, I, I for for whatever reason, and I think it was how the guys pitched in the last two or three games. But I feel better now than I did a week ago about just the overall pitching staff, especially the bullpen. I still don't know. I still am a little unsure, like, how many innings they're really going to get out of the rotate the starters right. this year. But I, I feel better about the bullpen, so we'll see how that plays out. Well, and as it worked out, Moody actually only threw seven pitches. Now, that was a full inning. He was just efficient. I, I kind of wonder, I guess, maybe if he'd have gotten up to 15, 20, if he'd have just been pulled regardless. But, you know, we, we didn't end up finding out. But now let's let's shift to softball. Of course, we'll have the full uh, next segment to talk Cajun basketball and kind of give your final thoughts on the matchup. But, you know, they look, they have this thing. I don't know. I wouldn't say hanging over their heads, but they have this unbelievable winning streak that I, I try to explain it to people sometimes who don't follow college softball necessarily or, you know, the biggest Cajun supporters and try to explain to them how ridiculous this conference, you know, winning every series for the last nine years is to people. 
Um, do you think that's something, and we haven't really talked about that on the air much this year, do you think that's something they think about, you know, or do you think that's just something that you, you can't even worry about? I know you're probably not supposed to, but do you think that creeps into their minds? I, I don't think the player, I think I think they all know about it, and they talk. I, I tend to get the impression that they talk about it some, but I don't think it's like, I don't think it's like a big driving force like right. for the men's basketball team. They really wanted to go undefeated at home, and that was something they talked about in the preseason. I think that was more of a motivating, driving uh, goal for them. I, I don't really think it's the case. I think it's something that they wish they didn't have to deal with, but it's there, and they don't want to be the ones to end it kind of thing. Well, yeah, and, and we've kind of talked about this a lot. The Sunbelt Conference is having a banner year in softball, at least in non-conference play. I mean, the last we checked, there were eight teams in the top 100 in the RPI. I mean, that's the top 100. Like, that's not, you know, remember, Division One softball, you've got well over 200 teams. So the Sunbelt seems like it's better. Some of the newcomers are pretty good. What do you think about no, the... I, I... Absolutely, and so it's going to be a challenge. But again, I, I didn't really, I, I didn't dream they could go all of last year and not do it. And there were right. some games where, you know, they easily could have lost, but they won. And so it, it, it is impressive just because of the length of it. But I, I think that it's, you know, it's fairly far down on their list of priorities. They've got a lot of issues, and one thing is just kind of getting uh, mentally and physically rested. For, for, for the second half of the season after the brutal first half they had. Well, yeah, and so Southern Miss is their first opponent. They have to go to Hattiesburg for that, but Southern Miss actually not one of those teams in the top 100 in RPI, but is sitting with a 15-5 and five record. So do you see them having any trouble in Hattiesburg, or do you think they kind of get off to the hot starts that we've been accustomed to seeing in conference play? I, I think they'll win. Uh, by the way, Southern Miss actually lost to Ole Miss nine to one last night, so they're fifteen and six now. Okay, and their their uh, team ERA is really good now. Their hitting stats are pretty, you know, not great, um, not awful, but not great. And you know, they're hitting like two fifty four, two fifty five, something like that in the team. So they don't. They don't look like a great hitting team, and they haven't played a really tough schedule. So, I, I mean, the Cajuns should win, no question, But uh, and I kind of think they will. But, again, you know, like you say, even some of the teams not in the top 100, you know, already have 14, 15, 16 wins. Right. So it's not like they're going to face just, you know, in years past, there's been some, there have been some Sunbelt teams that were just really bad. I don't know that they're going to face a really bad team this year in the Sunbelt. Well, it should be interesting to see. All right, well, we'll take a timeout here, and we'll keep Kevin Foot on the line and talk Cajuns basketball right after the break. Stay tuned. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Great news, my sports-loving friend. No more aimlessly searching for sports talk love by swiping left or right. That's because you've already found the perfect match. For sports talk love, that is... Now, back to the only lover you'll ever need. The game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
Welcome back to Footnotes once again. We'll bring Kevin back on here. And, uh, you know, I wanted to ask you, Kevin, did you did you end up filling out a bracket? I don't know if, if we got confirmation on this. No, actually, it's been so busy. I meant to, and I, it got so busy. It's been so busy this week, I just never got to it. Well, so I did you, not. you know, there's still time. Even whenever you get where you're going, when you get to Orlando, I'll take your word for it that you're not going to change any of the early picks, and I'll trust you to still fill one out. Okay, I'll try to do that. <laughs> so, like, let's let's talk about this matchup for one last time. I know we've kind of we've kind of covered it from a bunch of different angles throughout the week, but it's you know it's it's not every day that the Cajuns get to play in games like this, and I think we've seen it in different sports. You know, the opportunity to play in the Sun Belt Championship in football was was awesome. They did it in baseball to get to the regionals. They're always in the regionals in softball. Um, but you have a chance, and as we've mentioned, they're just, they're not, this isn't an unwinnable game, you know, and I almost think it's better that they won the tournament this year than last year, because something we didn't really bring up, but if they'd have won the tournament last year, where their record was, they'd have been a 15 or a 16 seed and really probably not had a chance. So, again, they, there's no reason why they can't go out and win this game, and I'm, and I'm glad that they, they're going to have that opportunity. You know, they're not just going to be thrown to Kansas in the first round. True. Now, the thing, the thing that we really haven't really talked about and I've seen it happen before you know from the first playoff game for high school teams all the way up to you know like the playoffs and stuff at the NFL and other level and professional levels especially when you haven't been there and and I know we've made a big deal out of Jordan being there and and uh and Terrence but the vast majority of this team has not been there you know coach Marlin hadn't been there and in nine years, so it's a big deal, and it's hard not to be nervous when it's a big deal. So I, I think that those first five to eight minutes, you just hope they're not down, you know, ten to two or something like that, if, while they're just trying to kind of get their feel for it. that. That's going to be important, I think. Right, and and part of that too is Tennessee has been there, right, and most of their guys, other than the freshmen and maybe some of the newcomers on their roster have played in these tournaments and have won games in these tournaments. So I think that matters. The other thing, and it's interesting you bring up that start, that's been kind of the Cajuns' calling card for some portions of the season. They've been so hot to start off games. They had the one game where Georgia Southern blitzed them on the other end. They, of course, weathered the storm and won that. But that's been part of the Cajuns' you know, theme this year is jump so far out on a team early on that there's just not you know enough time and energy to come back later in the game. On the flip side of it, from everything we've heard about Tennessee, Tennessee doesn't seem like the kind of team that, that might re- not react quite as well if the Cajuns jump out like they do on teams sometimes. So and right, it might be more not just something you want to avoid a bad start, but a great start might be their best method to win. And, you know, that's a good point. We, you know, we had Stevie P on at, at nine fifteen, and what he brought up that I hadn't even, you know, I hadn't put a ton of thought into is the fact that Greg Williams might have been the guy to defend, you know, Tennessee's best scorers. Like you might have put him on there. Now they've gone Kentrell in those situations as well, and and you've seen a, you know, a bunch of different guys do it. But now I'm wondering if Greg's not fully healthy, maybe he can give you something offensively. But what if he's not able to guard one of Tennessee's best scorers? And, you know, now they're down a guard, but they've still got a couple of guys who can score it. So that that's now kind of becoming a concern for me. Yeah, you know, and the thing about their leading scorer is he's not a penetrate-to-the-basket guy. He's kind of a set-up shooter. 
and 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 you want more, you I would want great height over Kentrell guarding him, you know, if you could. So yeah, that that is a that is a good point. Well, as we kind of get closer to it as well, another thing that's that's kind of been on my mind a lot is how Themis played in that conference championship game and how he was basically dared to shoot by South Alabama. I'm wondering too what what Tennessee does because we've also heard you know the the reports of how good they are defensively on the inside. It's going to be a coach's decision, but maybe they don't double Jordan the way you know the Cajuns have kind of gotten used to playing offense with Jordan doubled because after he you know dominated South Alabama in that last regular season game of the season, everyone in the tournament doubled him, and then even before that he had seen it from a lot of teams. So I'm wondering if Themis is going to be able to recreate what he did, and does he take a couple of threes early on? I'll be really, really interested to see if Tennessee le- – now, I don't think they're going to leave him the way South Alabama left him because they literally said, please take a three, and he made two in a row, and it kind of changed things. But I'll be interested to see if they guard him on the perimeter or if they kind of learn from what happened against South Alabama and maybe press up on him, and then maybe that opens things up a little bit for Jordan or, the- or um, Terrence inside. Yeah, I, I'm not. I don't think Themis is going to be shooting a bunch of threes. I don't think they'll do quite that. But what I'm worried about is, um, I'm, what I'm more focused on is, is he going to be able to penetrate and finish and, and, and score that way? I mean, anything you get from the three from Themis is a little is line yacht, but I still would like to get his scoring. Which again, I, I still think until the final, that hadn't been there like it was early in the year. So. I'm more anxious to see if, if they're gonna if he's gonna be able to get into the lane and, and get off good shots and finish. I kind of think you know Tennessee's got a six nine guy inside, a six eleven guy, and these guys are not like tremendous scores. They're more defensive players, so I, I kind of think they're gonna try a lot of the time to single cover them. We'll see. It'll be interesting. And and you know Jordan really looks forward to that when teams try to do that. Well, yeah, and and so, you know, we'll get back to the Cajuns at the very end of this and kind of get our final, final thoughts, but I want to ask you about the other game that you might get to see a good bit of uh, because you'll be in the arena there. Duke's playing Oral Roberts before the Cajuns. I know you've got a couple of fans of this show that are pretty passionate one way or the other about that. Have you started to think about the scene that it would be if Duke goes down before the Cajuns play? That it it would be something, and, uh, you know, Again, the last time the Cajuns won is the 13th seed in the NCAA tournament. The the, uh, the 12 seed right. beat the five, um, and so you know I don't I don't expect Duke to lose, but it you know I I hear there are people quite a few people thinking Duke is hot and going to the Final Four, much less losing in the first round. Door Roberts, but yeah, that that would be something, no question. That would be something to see. I'm hoping things will work out where I can get in there and see most or all of that game. Well, and then you know, one thing I just started thinking about right now is, do you think an upset like that, if it were to take place, again, we're you know, this is an if situation, does that kind of creep into the minds and almost maybe make Tennessee more or less alert, or the Cajuns kind of fire them up, say, look, man, or Roberts can get it done, we can get it done, or I know the again, and I know the idea is, and if you ask the coaches this, they'd probably tell you no. But I wonder if that does kind of have an impact. I think it does. You know, we kind of had that sentiment uh, in the Sun Belt Conference tournament. You know, I remember when the Cajuns were playing their first game against Georgia Southern. It was like, man, there were two upsets earlier that day. I'm like, the little a lot of people were saying, 
it's nice because you might not have to play the top couple seeds, but it's a little scary because, you know, this theme of, of upsets in the Cajuns handle business. So, no, I think it's positive. People will definitely think that, no question. Yeah, and, and I actually think maybe that helped the Cajuns a little bit. Maybe they there was no chance they were going to sleepwalk against Georgia Southern after seeing Southern Miss go down. And so I wonder if, if the flip could happen. If Duke goes down, maybe Tennessee actually plays with a little more focus and aggression because of that. Well, all right, we're coming to the end of the segment here. Let, let's get your final thoughts here. Like, what you know, just overall, you don't necessarily have to pick the game if you don't want to, but I, I just want to know kind of your final mindset as you head to the Amway Center to cover the Cajuns tonight. I, I just really like that they had this week. One of the things that concerns me in teams that have, like, goals, like the Cajuns started, you know, they had a goal the minute that they lost to Georgia Southern, I mean, Georgia State the year before, in the finals, we're going to get back there. And when you have that goal and that, like, it's like a mountaintop for you, when you get to that mountaintop and achieve it, it's almost like you you breathe easier. And, you and you know, it's, it's, it's human nature to just kind of be satisfied with it. And so now I think they've had this week to get some of that out of their system, and they've kind of got a new fire and a new goal and a new mountain to climb. And hopefully that's really going to help them here. Again, I, I think if they can make – I mean, we're just throwing out numbers, but I'm saying like seven or eight threes or more. I think they have a legitimate chance as long as Jordan can get you at least, you know, between 15 and 20 points. If, if he does more, tremendous. Uh, if, and I think they have a tough time winning if they don't do that. I, I, I understand about all the issues Tennessee's had, but I'm still worried about being able to consistently score against them. All right. Well, I'm excited about it. I know you're excited about it. Uh, it should be fun. Safe travels, and I'll try and keep holding it down for you while you're gone here. No, great job. We appreciate it. And just, I mean, if things go bad today, just think. we got a downhill runner. That's so true. So we can get through it. <laughs> this is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is Footnotes. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Once again, Dawson Eiserlo filling in for Kevin Foote, who we just talked to in the last couple of segments, who is on his way to Orlando to cover the Cajuns. You know, I, I've, I've talked already a lot about the NCAA tournament. Now, look, it is, uh, I think it's appropriate. It's Thursday of the NCAA tournament, one of the best you know sporting days of the year in my mind. Um, and we're, of course, going to be airing those on the game after the show. So I think uh, a perfect time to kind of just talk some more about it. Again, if you've been trying to get in on the phone lines, I apologize. I'm, I'm doing uh, doing a little double duty here as hosting and producing, so it's just feasibly not really an option to answer the phones during the show. But again, we have had some comments over on our uh, on our Twitter account, so we appreciate for that. And we have another one here, and it actually brings me into what I wanted to talk about next. So Chris asks, how about the slate of tournament games in Orlando today, the potential for four upsets at one site? And I think he's right. And so, so thank you to Chris for bringing that up. I, I think it's, it's awesome the way that it worked out for the Cajuns. Of course, they're one of those teams playing in Orlando, and we've already talked a good bit about that one. But that's where, as we've already talked a little bit about, San Diego State playing Charleston. Virginia's playing Furman. 
Um, and then, of course, you know, tonight, as we mentioned, Duke is going to play Oral Roberts and the Cajuns are going to play Tennessee. Those are all 5-12-4-13 matchups, which I've hinted at this. Those are my favorite games to watch because those are the ones that it means, it really means something when those teams pull off those upsets because almost always those are mid-major conference championship teams. Um, you might have a couple of, you know, Every once in a while, you might have a difference there. If maybe a, an unexpected power conference team wins a conference tournament, they're a 12 seed. But for the most part, you're having mid-major conference tournament champions who had to win their way in, and they're playing really good power conference teams that aren't the best teams in the country, right, but are still formidable and certainly can make a run. Like four and five seats have made deep runs all the way to the final four, of course. But those are just my favorite games to watch, and I think all of those, I mentioned it on RP3 and Company earlier in the week, Like I think every single 12 and 13 seed has not only a chance, but a pretty good chance to win this week. Like I wouldn't be shocked if any of them happened. Obviously, all of them won't. It's not going to happen that all of those, and I wouldn't even say more than half necessarily, but I don't see any where the matchup is so skewed in one direction or another to where it's not possible. Charleston's look, they've won 31 games. And I think sometimes people underestimate the value of that. And we had, you know, our, our guy Lee Sterling on RP3 and, Com- RP3 and Company talk about the history of power, you know, non power conference champions who win 30 plus games being so good in these tournaments. Like, there's something to being that dominant, even in, within your own conference. Because remember, when you're in a conference with these other teams, generally those teams have similar resources, similar, you know, financial abilities, similar. Um, you know, facilities and everything like that. And to be that dominant against the ones of your kind in your conference, like that's just incredible. There's, of course, a couple of conferences. Like Gonzaga is not really built the way the West of the, the rest of the West Coast Conference is. But I think that really shows something. So, no, I, I agree with, with Chris on that. Uh, Charleston, Furman, Oral Roberts, and Louisiana, they've all got a shot. Oral Roberts is another one. That's a team that's won 17 games in a row. They went 18-0 and in Summit play. And when a team is just not used to losing games, like Oral Roberts right now doesn't know what it's like to lose a game. They haven't lost a game in months. And that matters. Now, you could look at the other side of it and say, well, they haven't been tested too much. That concerns me. They've played some close games. They've played some games that they won by three, by four, by five points within this run in the Summit League. So, you know, I just think Oral Roberts is a team that Duke probably wasn't super happy to see, you know, show up on the ticker. Again, there weren't great options. I think all those 13 and 12 seeds are pretty good. I've already, you know, done a swan song on Kent State today. Um, but that's going to be intriguing. So I wanted to kind of talk here in this segment about the overall picture of the tournament because I haven't really spoken big picture. I've talked about some upsets, and, of course, I've I've given love to the mid-major teams and, you know, the Cajuns as I, uh, as I like to do. But... Let's kind of talk about each region here for a little bit. Alabama's the favorite of the whole tournament. They're the number one overall seed. They're in the South region. And look, there's no way around it. Like, Alabama's had the issues they've had this year have been off the court, you know, and, and everything that's been involved with some really, um, you know, difficult to deal with legal cases that haven't been black and white, right? It wasn't like they had a player who was specifically charged with a whole bunch of crimes. And, you know, and we've had a couple of those in college basketball this year that were. You know, different scenarios. Um, but overall, they have their guys playing. It hasn't caused, you know, the, of course there was the, the player who was directly involved who has been dismissed, but Brandon Miller is still playing. All those guys are playing. It's just been strange that it hasn't affected them on the, on the court, right? Like when you're dealing with college-age kids, you'd expect something like that to, to maybe impact them, and, and it hasn't. They've been that good. So they come into play in the South region, and, and this is a region that's interesting to me. 
I really like some of the teams that are the middle seeds of this region. And I've already talked about Charleston and Furman as lower seeds, but I really like West Virginia. I know they're not a, you know, they're a 19 and 14 team, which is some of the teams that I kind of dog on a little bit when it comes to like those power conference teams that don't have good records that make the tournament. Um, I think they're a little different though, because they do have six quad one wins. Now I'm not the biggest quad one wins guy either. You know, we don't have time to get into my whole rant on the net rankings and things like that, but I really like West Virginia as a nine to get past Maryland and really cause some trouble. And and this will be a little bit of breaking news. I have West Virginia beating Bam in the second round in my official bracket. Now I know that's a stretch and maybe it's more unlikely than likely, but I think Bob Huggins teams are always gritty um, and they've played better over the second half of the season. So that's something to, for me to watch out. Um, otherwise, Arizona's a really good team as a two seed with Sean Miller at the helm over there. They got to get past Princeton, but you know, you like their chances. And then, the other thing, though, is a team like Missouri, you know, a team that was so good in the SEC. Some people thought should have been seated higher than a seven. Like Alabama, I don't, I don't know. I think people have kind of just chart, charted them in, and I'm not so ready to say that. I, I, I really, if you gave me Bama or the field, I'll take the field in this region. I really will, and I, and I don't know if that's the case for some of the others. So, you know, keep that in mind. Then in the East, you have Purdue as the one seed who I'm really high on, and a lot of people aren't. I think. You know, previous history within a tournament, a way a team plays, can give you some information. Because, look, some teams are, you know, the way they're constructed, they don't play their best basketball necessarily in March. And Tennessee has certainly been one of those. And we hope that the Cajuns can kind of play off of that and, and get an advantage from that. But they're a team that I think is is kind of ready for this moment. And, and Zach Eady, look, the man's a giant. He's seven foot four. I mean, he's a matchup nightmare for everyone, of course. Nobody has a guy who can directly match up with him. Now, there's different things that you're going to do, and they've lost games this season. It's not like they haven't. So it's not like they're an unbeatable, dominant team. They have five losses, but I like Purdue. I like a big man in these types of tournaments that, you know, shooting can go hot and cold, but you give me a guy inside, and, and I'm not saying, you know, Zach Eady's not the greatest scorer we've ever seen from the inside, but I like some of the things they can do defensively, kind of grind out a win if they have to, or they can score it at times. So I really like Purdue. But they do have a pretty tough bracket. Now, Marquette is a two-seed that I think is not getting nearly enough love in this tournament. I think some people look, and I, and I get it, when, when they play, Marquette plays in the Big East, and especially down here, you know, we don't tend to focus on the Big East as much. And it's, it's a basketball conference, but they don't play football, so we're not as co- familiar with the names. Like, Marquette's 28-6 and in one of the best conferences in the country in the Big East. And I think that matters, and I think that's a team as a two-seed that I think they're going to be a really popular. I wouldn't be surprised if they're the most commonly picked two-seed you know, to be upset early, whether it's the first, second, third round, things like that. But I like Marquette making a long run. I really do. Then there's Kansas State as a three. And so my theme thinking about this week that's been interesting for me is the Big 12. The Big 12, to me, was far and away the best conference in America this year. There's so many good teams. Seven out of ten of them made the tournament, and a bunch of them are near the top 15, and you have them as you know one, two, and three seeds. So there's two ways to look at it. One, you think that's going to translate, and you think they've been battle-tested. They've played great teams all year, and they are that good, so they're going to be really successful, and a lot of their teams are going to make deep runs. Or you can play devil's advocate to that and say they're worn down physically because they've had to play really good teams every night. They haven't gotten an off night in conference play. They don't have a bottom feeder in their conference that they can beat up on and kind of you know rest starters. So... That's interesting to me. I do think Kansas State makes a bit of a run here, and I have a couple, you know, I've, I've tended to side on the on the side of being higher on Big 12 teams, um, but I have gone back and forth in my mind with that. So there's something to watch as a three. And then we haven't even mentioned Tennessee as a four and Duke as a five in this region. 
And lastly, I'll mention that Florida Atlantic is a nine seed at 31-3, and which I think is a travesty. I think Florida Atlantic Conference USA, look, it's not a power conference. It's not a bad conference. It's nowhere near the bottom. It's in the top half of conferences, and they dominated it. And they're third, they have 31 wins, and they have to play a red-hot Memphis team who's an eight seed, who beat Houston, by the way, a number one overall seed, beat them in the conference tournament to get to the NCAA. So I think Florida Atlantic's a tough out for Purdue. So I don't think the path's easy, but I, I do think Purdue's the best overall team in this region and the team that I've I've ended up picking to get out of it. But the East is going to be fun. Uh, the Midwest, you know, that's Houston's a team that I've been high on all season long. I love what Kelvin Sampson does. They have a real identity every year. You know what Houston basketball is going to look like. They're going to have big, rangy guards that can defend on the perimeter and can take it to the basket and score. They're usually not going to be elite scoring teams, but they'll score enough, and they're just going to just cause havoc defensively. And that's no different with this Houston team. The big question is Marcus Sasser. He's their best scorer. He's over 17 a game, and he's questionable. We'll see if he plays. I don't think they'll need him today against Northern Kentucky. I'm not sure they'd need him against the winner of Iowa and Auburn, but they'll need him to make a deep run. And so I'm hoping he gets back and gets healthy because he's such a fun player to watch. He's had a tough injury history. He's missed tournament games before. So for his sake and for the Houston Cougars, I'm hoping that he can get healthy because I think they have a Final Four-worthy team. You know, they're a one-seed for a reason. The rest of that region is... Is you know obviously there's no region I I, I kind of don't buy into the the logic of being regions being stacked I think certainly one region can be a little better than the next but Texas is the two seed there they fired their coach midseason and it seemed like it didn't affect them at all kind of like Alabama they just played through the adversity and they're a two seed they're a dangerous team um, Miami's an interesting one because of what I already said with the injury to Omir this is a tough one but I I think Houston gets out of that region. It's just going to be whether they can stay healthy, though. And if Sasser doesn't play, then I would obviously kind of feel a lot worse about that. And lastly, in the West, Kansas is the one seed here. Kansas is the defending champs. They're the been here, done that team of this region. You know, the two seeds, UCLA, who has had some injuries, their best player is likely not going to, or not likely, he is not going to play in this tournament. That hurts them. They didn't seem to play much worse in the Pac-12 tournament, though. They still won that tournament without him. So they're a team you can't write off, but when you get deeper and deeper into this tournament, you start to feel like that's going to have an effect on them, right? Um, you know, Gonzaga's a three-seed, and look, here's the team that I think is the most dangerous in this region. And my thing with Gonzaga is this. They have gone the last few seasons being a one-seed, and a lot of people taking shots at what they play in the West Coast Conference, even though I think that conference is better than people give it credit for, saying that they don't belong as a one-seed and they haven't been tested. And then when they lose, you know, usually in the Final Four or the Elite Eight, people say, oh, see, they didn't belong there. I think they've dealt with a lot of pressure. This year, they come in a little under the radar. You know, They lost the top five draft pick. They didn't have all the pressure and expectations coming in. And they're a three seed. They're, no one's picking them to win this whole thing. Uh, certainly not a lot of people are. And I think they use that to their advantage. They play a little loose. They play free. Drew Timmy's been there for approximately 76 years Okay, at Gonzaga. And I think he finally gets them you know, back into those big moments. Now, I say finally. They, they played in the Final Four two years ago, so it's not like they haven't been there, but I really like Gonzaga's chances um, to play well in this tournament. UConn's a team, a team that you can't sleep on as well, um, and they're a four seed. Again, those Big East teams, I think some people have struggle. You know, they struggle to evaluate them. But I think UConn's going to be a team that if they can get past Iona. By the way, I haven't mentioned Iona. They're a, a team coached by Rick Pitino, by the way, who's going to be in the market for another big time power power conference job after this season, or if he chooses to return, maybe after next season. So don't sleep on Iona. I've been saying that phrase a little bit too much in this segment, but don't sleep on Iona because they could very well beat UConn. 
So overall, I think really four you know, intriguing regions all in their own right, a couple of matchups in each one. I didn't even get to the regional things that could happen as far as teams in-state rivals that they could be facing off. A&M could be facing Texas in the second round. So a lot to go on there. Um, that'll bring us to the end of this segment. We've got one left, and in that segment, I'm going to finally kind of bring this all together, try and organize the thoughts that I've been just kind of spewing out over the last 15 minutes and give you my clear-cut Final Four, my national championship matchup, and who I have cutting down the nets in Houston next month. That'll all be next right here on Footnotes. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Go subscribe to the game's YouTube channel at The Game Louisiana. That way you can check out the latest original videos and more shenanigans from the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to the final segment of Footnotes. Once again, Dawson Eisler filling in for Kevin Foote here as he travels to Orlando to cover the Cajuns. I want to thank you all for tuning in today. And we've got we've got a little bit more time here to talk about the NCAA tournament. Again, I um it's one of my favorite things. And so, you know, I've spent a good bit of time. I, I I've watched, I don't know, probably about as much college basketball as ever this season. And I, I prefer the college game to the NBA game. Um, I know I've kind of tried to explain this on RP3 and Company. I like college sports more than pro for a few reasons. Um, you know, one is the pageantry, of course, but also like I enjoy watching when players make mistakes, like and how they respond from that, and kind of the sometimes clunkiness that can happen with college athletics. Like I just love that aspect of it. And the NBA, like sometimes the players are a little bit too good for my enjoyment. I know that sounds silly, and I don't think everyone would agree with me there, but um, I think it, it kind of you know. It's, it's just a little bit more special to me when you see some of these college teams accomplish what they accomplish and knowing that it's, that it's college-age kids. You know, that was me a few years ago that age, right? And I certainly wasn't competing in the NCAA tournament, but just to think of what those guys are accomplishing in those moments, guys and girls, you know, both on the men's and women's side. And, and we'll have a chance to kind of preview a little bit of the, uh, the LSU women's team, of course, as they are a three-seed and they have pretty high expectations in this tournament. And we'll get to talk about that tomorrow because they will open up their tournament tomorrow as well. But as we wind down here, let's let's get my final predictions here. And I've, I've kind of already run through each region for you. I've given you some upsets. I've given you some things I like about some of the teams and some things that maybe I don't like. But ultimately, here's what I came up with. Um, in the South region, I, I talked about how, how nervous I am about Alabama. And I don't know why, because they've given me every reason to not worry. They've played great despite all the distractions and all the issues that they've had off the court. Um, but at the end of the day, I think maybe it finally catches up to them in this tournament, you know, and, and, and even if not, I do think the SEC has been a little down this year. And so I kind of, the, the same way I'm so high on the big 12, I, I, I hesitate a little bit with the SEC. Um, it was still, it was a good conference as far as RPI and they were second to the big 12, but I do have a bit of concern there with them. So I see them going down. Um, and this is kind of a region for me where I think it's the next best team that survives. It is the one that will get through. And for me, that's Arizona. I think they're a team that's kind of gone under the radar. The Pac-12 is, uh, you know, another one that I don't get to watch a ton of Pac-12 basketball throughout the season. I get to see it sometimes early on when they're playing in preseason tournaments. But then, of course, with the West Coast starts, uh, you know, as a morning show guy, that's not always ideal for me, right? But I did get to see a good amount of the Pac-12 tournament, and I think Arizona's set for a big run here. Um, they have a proven head coach who has a, you know, a, a great track record in these tournaments, and. Um, 
So I, I'm going to take Arizona out of the South um, because I think Bama doesn't get to that game. That's that's why I'm taking them. In the East, I'm going with Purdue, and I've said that's look Purdue's the team. I think I know that people doubt them, and I understand why because they haven't been the most successful in these tournaments. This wasn't supposed to be a great year for them, and they you know kind of defied the odds in that regard. They've got a, a giant in the middle, and I think he impacts a lot of these games, and I think Purdue gets out of that that, that bracket. In the Midwest, I'm going with Houston, and this is the one I don't feel great about because, again, I've, I, you know, we've learned more about Marcus Sasser maybe not playing, um, but I'm a guy who once I fill out my bracket in ink, which I did this morning, I'm not going to go back on it. So I'm taking Houston, but with the caveat, if Marcus Sasser doesn't play in this tournament, I, I don't like their chances. But that's who I pick, so I'm going to stick with it for Houston in the Midwest. And lastly, in the, in the Western division, or the Western bracket, I should say, you know, it's, it's so intriguing and it's so tempting to pick Kansas as the defending champs. But I'm going with Gonzaga, and I kind of teased this, and I talked about why I like this Gonzaga team. Um, I think they're battle-tested, and they're hungry, and they don't have as much pressure, nearly as much pressure as they've had in past years, coming in as a three-seed. So I think Gonzaga beats a team, and they maybe take advantage of UCLA, again, having their best player out for this tournament when they face them, potentially, in the Elite Eight. Um, And then I think they get past Kansas and ultimately are going to be in the Final Four. Quickly, in the Final Four, I've got Purdue... You know, beating Arizona, I think I've kind of showed you why I'm so high on Purdue throughout the show. I have Gonzaga beating Houston, and, you know, look, if Houston gets there with Sasser, then they're going to be tough, but I think Gonzaga's maybe ready for the moment this time. And lastly, in my championship, I'll take Purdue to cut down the nets. I really do. I think I think Edie gets it done for them, and I think they get enough scoring elsewhere. They're so good defensively. I like Purdue to, you know, it's a one seed. It's not a shocking pick, but I do think a lot of people are a little bit down on them, so I like them. Thank you for hanging out with us here Uh, on your Thursday morning. Look, I'll be back tomorrow, so we'll have plenty to react to and also preview with the women's tournament and LSU getting going, conference play starting in baseball. There is plenty to talk about. Hopefully, we're discussing a Cajuns victory over Tennessee. So with that being said, be safe out there and be kind of another, as RP3 would say, um, and enjoy the games tonight. Y'all have a nice day.